You're listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. In the blue corner, we've got Mr. Carl supporting Tottenham. In the red corner, we've got Mr. Kenner's supporting Arsenal. Together, they will be discussing all of your football views, all of your football news. So join us here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Hello and welcome to another episode of Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl and I'm joined this afternoon by Jeff Saunders, our regular West Ham pundit. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great, Chris. Thank you. Now, there's been a lot going on since our last episode, of course. During the last one, which was episode 11, we were talking about Harry Maguire joining Manchester United. Well, it's finally happened a couple of days after we yeah. broadcast. 80 million, Jeff. Yeah, well, that's. It, it will all depend on whether it works. If it works out, then 80 million's cheap. And if it doesn't work out, 40 million would have been too much. So Yeah, so... You know. Who knows? But he is just, a, I mean, he's a defender. I was saying to you before we started, defenders seem to be the new rock and roll, the new expensive players. It's happened quite a lot recent last couple of seasons. Yeah, It's still a lot of money for any defender. He's, he's an England international, but what does he bring to United that they didn't have? Well, uh, you have to go to the beginning. They conceded 54 goals last season. They, were, sh- they were shocking in defence. Um, what, what do we know about Maguire? He's, he's brilliant in the air. No defender won as many aerial duels as he did last season. However... Manchester United were second in the table for winning aerial duels, so that wasn't a weakness for them. Right, so he didn't but add anything then? It doesn't add anything in that respect. Where he does add something is that he's very good at bringing the ball out from defence at his feet and finding a pass, and he's completed a very, very high proportion of passes. And to compare that to the, the ones that were there, Lindelof gave the ball away twice as often as he completed passes. That's shocking. That is absolutely outrageous. So that, now, if if that is the reason for it, and I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure it is, then then you would think that Solskjaer would have wanted him as early as possible, not in the final week of the transfer transfer season. Sure, of course. To work with him, and you know, transition is the key. Transition from defence to attack and attack back to defence is is the is the key. That's what yeah. coaches work on all the time. So Solskjaer's only got him for six days right, before now, the season starts. Before the season starts, and Manchester United paid eighty million. In May, Ed Woodward, the commercial genius, uh, asked Leicester about Maguire and they quoted 80 million. That's oh no, that, oh no, that's too much, he said. And now three months later, when it's nearly too late, he's paid 80 million. So they've wasted They've months wasted three months, months, yeah. And the deal hasn't changed. Deal hasn't Whoever changed. Whoever heard that before? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Brexit uh, sort of negotiations there from uh, Woodward. And not a genius in that sense, as you say. Nothing has changed since May. No. So they've wasted all that time he could have been training with them or going exactly, on tour yeah. with them. Yeah. They've had another one, of, as all the teams do, one of those extensive tours abroad. Some of them against strong op- opposition where they could have tested him, fitted him in with a team. I mean, he could have met his teammates before before they kick <laughs> oh, off on yes. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least. Yeah. Mind you, that didn't seem to affect Manchester United much last season, did it? Um, no, not at all. Th- those, they'd been together for three or four years and ten, some of them, and they still couldn't find they each still other. Couldn't <laughs> True enough. Talking of you know negotiations, Daniel Levy, the Tottenham chairman, you mm. know, notorious for either not buying anybody or leaving it to the last day of the season. As we're recording this, deadline day finishes at five o'clock this afternoon. You'll be listening to this from Sunday, so some of the deals may have gone through. But he's leaving it very late as usual, which means that even if we sign somebody today on deadline day, 
it'll be 48 hours before we actually play our first game. And so some, whoever's coming across from Italy or wherever it is, has somehow got to fit into a team within 48 hours. I mean, it's not ideal, is it? But given that, given that you have a deadline, selling clubs and buying clubs are going to work their way up to it uh, according to how it suits them financially. You know, we are where we are and that, that, that's the rule. But yeah. to get a player, if, if Tottenham could get Dybala, for example, if he signs in the last second, it's still a brilliant deal. I'd love to have Dybala at Tottenham, of oh course. God, he's but the that most, faltered, yeah. didn't it, yesterday? They were just on the brink <laughs> of signing him. They'd agreed terms, at least with the club, but the club's yeah. not the important thing anymore. No, apparently the ticking point is his image rights, which are owned by somebody else entirely. Yeah. Image so. star, I think the company's called. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just nonsense, isn't it? We're talking about a footballer. Yeah, you, you, you can have him, you know, you can sign him for 60, I think, was it 70 million they were, they were going to yeah, pay for him? something like that, yeah. The club that own him can't sell him because another company who own his, what he looks like, <laughs> his image rights, and are not happy with the signing, you know, because they, they want more money out of shirt sales and his face on the programme or his face in a Dairy Lee advert, whatever it is, that he gets involved with, but nothing to do with him on the pitch. No, nothing at all. And apparently he wants he wants to make the move. And Juventus want him to go and Tottenham want to buy him. It doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. Um, you know, Tottenham could miss out on a very exciting player. It looks like to signed Lo Celso and Sessegnon, the uh, 19-year-old from Fulham, Ryan. He's coming across for, you know, from uh, Fulham, who've gone down, of course. Good buy for Tottenham, I think, though. I think very good buy. But I, I, he's a good player, no question at all. Do you know why he's famous and will always be famous? Go on. He was the first player born in the 21st century to score a goal in the That's Premier right. League. That's right. That's right. Brilliant. Talking of trivia questions, and do you know, you've got one for us that we'll announce a little bit later on. Right, OK. The, the question is... What do Matt Smith uh, of Millwall, Rhys James of Wigan, Moussa Dembele of Fulham and Paul Williams of Coventry City all have in common? So all those players and former players all yeah. have something in common. We will give you the answer in about 10 minutes or so, or 15 minutes. Whenever it is, you'll hear the answer on this very show. Talking of transfers, one, one that's popped up just uh, this week that really interested me, Danny Welbeck, free to Watford. Yeah. I mean, you know, is that the level he's at now? And does that mean Watford are aspiring to a different or a higher level? Which is it, or is it a combination? Um, I'm not sure it, it, it's, uh, it's any of those. I think it's just he is a very, he's a very good player, and he has pace, and that's what Watford have been missing up front. So it's just a deal which suits everybody and means he doesn't have to reprogram the sat-nav in his car <laughs> to get to work. So good deal for everybody, really. I'd be, I mean, I'm, I'm pleased for, for Watford, because I, I kind of, at one point, like everybody, I suppose, rated Danny Welbeck, and I sort of sad to see this sort of decline that happened. Um, and he's been without a club. You know, this is a free transfer he's on here. The Danny Welbeck. Whatever happened? Well, injuries happened. Sadly, just injuries, yeah. Let's move on uh, and look at some of the other transfers that have been happening. Because, you know, there's a couple of players that are making what I would say were unexpected moves this week. First of all, David Luiz, Chelsea legend. I would say, you know, they've won a lot with Chelsea. Great player. Apparently, he's making a move to Arsenal. Now, the interesting thing or the funny thing for me, Jeff, is that he actually wants to move to Arsenal, which I didn't think was a thing. Well, no, and th th I'd, I'd written a note to use in, in today's podcast, and what I wrote was, Arsenal may have spent a lot of money, but they still have no defence that anyone can see. And Ooh. after the David Luiz transfer, it's still true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nice. he's, he's 32 years old, he's gone for 8 million, which is... Yeah, 
you know, Arsenal were never going to get any transfer back because he's 32 years old. Um, he's very good at playing the ball out from the back, yep. but the question mark against him has always been his defence as a central defender. Chelsea appear to be quite happy with Christensen and, and Zuma in yep. central defence. Zuma is very much the stopper central defender, and that's what Lampard has been working with. So it might be a deal that, that suits everyone else. And all David Luiz has to do is find his way to Arsenal's training ground. Yes, yeah. the, the other you know, around the M25 from uh, from Chobham. Yes. Yeah, I mean, perhaps he could get Danny Welbeck to give him a give him a lift. Give or him something. a lift. Yeah, I mean, it's quite the opposite of south of the river. You must be joking. He's yeah. actually got to go north. Well, I think they, they all really. they all live north of the river. They don't do. They? Yes, of course yeah. they do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, of course they do. Um, they have to just travel south on occasion to work. Yeah. How awful for them. There is there is an, another issue around the the transfer of why David Luiz to Arsenal and that's because Arsenal's manager is Unai Emery yes. and he was the manager of David Luiz at Paris Saint-Germain they know each other very well Right, well Ali, that is an interesting point they do know each other I mean, for David Luiz and it's, it's a way out of Chelsea without losing grace or face I suppose very rarely do rivals sell to each other Indeed, you know, yeah. try, I mean, you know the, the cases where they've actually sold players abroad for 10 million less rather than selling to their rivals. Obviously, Chelsea do not feel that that would be a threat to have David Luiz facing them when they face Arsenal. Indeed. Perhaps they're just not worried about facing Arsenal at or, all. No, and not wor- certainly not worried about <laughs> attacking David Luiz. Yeah, so they, they, I mean, 8 million though. Possibly, um, you know, not a great deal of money for Chelsea to recoup, but a good deal for Arsenal. They might get a year or two out of him. Yeah, I think Chelsea have just got the money back that they gave to David Luiz for his contract extension, basically. There you go. So, so yeah. they, they've sort of they've got out of that one nicely. Another player is on the move, Andy Carroll, of course, yeah. he plays for West Ham, your team. D- did he play for West Ham? No, he was signed, sorry, he was on yeah. the books of. I rephrase that, I, I misspoke. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, he's. Uh, I think West Ham are the team that Carroll has been with longest in his career. What, really? Yeah, yeah. Stri- nobody noticed. And, uh, nobody <laughs> noticed. <laughs> the, the, the Guinness World Record that nobody noticed. No. Well, if you remember a few weeks ago, I said, you know, somebody should should buy Andy Carroll on a pay-per-play basis. And I'm guessing that's what Newcastle are doing. He's having he's having tests there at the moment, like fitness tests, right. extended fitness tests. So, yeah, I mean, it could work out very well for them. So Andy Carroll to Newcastle. We shall see what happens with that one, but a couple of interesting transfers there. There have been some changes, we'll move on a little bit, there have been some changes in the laws for the Premier League. Mm. Now the Premier League is kicking off this weekend, Uh, we're going to have a look at some of the games after we've gone through the new laws. There's a few that don't mean anything, that don't change the game a lot. Drop ball for example, drop balls, they used to both have a go at kicking them, can no longer be contested. What's going to happen Jeff is that basically if players stop, the ball is dropped to the player on the team that last touched the ball and where they touch it. So if you're halfway into your opponent's half and it's a drop ball situation, you get the ball back and you start from where you finished. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense in in one respect, that normally the team that kicks the ball out when there is an injury get penalised because the the other team win the the drop ball, who then kick it 30 or 50 yards down the pitch. Yeah, you start all over again. So here at least you you will start at the position you were when when the ball was kicked out okay fair enough the defending side still get to bring all their players back behind the ball mind you so it's yeah I mean it is what it is I think it's sensible I mean it it is it's like pressing pause rather than rewind I suppose but as you said the defenders get to regroup but the attacking team get the ball back but Mm. at least at least it's it's a positive and rule and it makes sense yeah however 
we're going to go on to the other rules now, <laughs> which, which do not follow that trend. Uh, handball, still, of course, it remains that deliberate handball is an offence, obviously, but accidental handball will be a free kick or a penalty if, and I'm reading this, so it won't make a lot of sense, the ball goes into the goal off an attacker, a player gets the ball using his or her arm or hand and then scores. Well, that's obvious, mm -hmm. even if it's not deliberate, it says. The player's arm or hand is above their shoulder unless the player controlled the ball onto his own arm or shoulder, uh, hand. And this is the one, and I'm going to actually make air quotes that nobody can see, but a player's hand or arm has made their body unnaturally bigger, whatever that means and however you judge that. That's right, it's a load of nonsense, isn't it? It's, I mean, this is all... You, you said to me, and you've said this many times, that it's not a change in the law, it's a change in how it's interpreted by the referees, yes. which means that basically it's just up to human judgment again. But I wish they would leave it up to the referees. The law is very, very clear. And the law states, if it is ball to hand, it is not handball. It is only handball if the, pl if the player intentionally moves his hand to the ball. That is the law. Why don't we just leave it at that and let the referees decide? Yeah, whether it's deliberate or not. Simple. Yeah. Is it deliberate? Yes. Free kick, goal yeah. kick, penalty, yeah. whatever. Was it deliberate? No. He had his hand behind his back like... Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that Paris Saint-Germain... Yes, exactly. Penalty for, for Manchester United. A player jumps with his back to the ball and the ball hits his hand. How can anybody possibly say that he deliberately handballed it? Yeah, I mean, he, did, he did not. People do not have eyes in the back of their head, least of all footballers. I mean, Tottenham have had defenders that don't have them in the front of their head. So well, exactly. how was he supposed to know? So um, the, the problem is referees are interpreting the guidelines they're given, not the law. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so... This unnaturally bigger is open for a lot of debate. Oh, during, the, during the summer, we were blessed with some great football from the Women's World Cup. The Netherlands were given a penalty against Japan for a handball based on that interpretation mm. of the law. But, however, Premier League referee's chief, Mike Riley, watched it, and he said, in the Premier League, we would consider that to be a natural position of the hand, and therefore it wouldn't have been a penalty. So, again, he's interpreting the same law differently than the referee did at that match. Yes. So, same law, different... Yeah, he, you know. he's actually interpreting a guideline, not the law. We're, you know, confused, you will be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, continuous, you know, continue on from previously. Another change is uh, regarding goal kicks. They can now be played to a teammate inside the penalty area. The law now says the ball is considered in play as soon as the kick is taken. Yeah, that's a sensible change. If you don't realise what happens, the reason for this is the goalkeepers sometimes take, take short kicks from a goal kick to a defender on the edge of the area. If that defender is then closed down by an attacking player, rather than let the ball come out of the penalty area and then be live, they'll step into the penalty area and play it back and the referee blows his whistle and you take the goal kick all over again. Right. This is to stop defenders manipulating that law. All right, so we're, we're happy with that one. Yeah. We're happy with that one and the drop ball one. We're just confused by the, the handballs. Penalties. The law's changed concerning what goalkeepers can do regarding penalties. Penalty kick can't be taken if the goalkeeper is touching the woodwork or the nets or if the nets or posts are still moving after being touched. You know, like they like to go round and touch the both. If, it, if it's still shaking afterwards, they can't say that. What if there's a wind? What if there's a gale no, I, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen that happen. I don't think I've seen the nets blowing around that they've got. Mm. Oh, you can't take this penalty now. Look at that. Mm. Look at I mean, you know, ridiculous. The goalkeeper also has to have one of his or her feet partly on the goal line, and then they put in brackets or above it if he's jumping. <laughs> if he jumps in the air, one of his feet has got to be hovering above the goal line, 
uh, when the kick is taken or he or she cannot stand behind or in front of the line. So you've got to be on your line. I thought that was the case anyway. I thought so too, yeah. Well, they're, they're underlining it now by changing it and saying the same thing. Don't get it. I don't see any change there, but apparently that is a change. Substitutions. If you're going to be substituted, you've got to leave the pitch by the nearest point on the touch line or byline. Uh, unless the referee says they can leave quickly at the halfway line or elsewhere for safety or injury reasons. I mean, the change is to stop people time-wasting. And any player who infringes on what they call the spirit of this law will be booked for unsporting behaviour and very good, say I. We've seen a lot of... Um, yeah, it should go off at the nearest slowly point. Slowly walking off, clapping, looking around the stadium. So they go off at the nearest point. I yep. think that gets rid of that. So we, we don't disagree with that at all. Nope. In other news regarding law changes, you can be booked for celebrating by removing your shirt or celebrating with the fans, even if the goal is disallowed. Now, I didn't know that. Apparently, it's only been, they've only been given a, a yellow card if the goal has counted. But that's a weird one. Well, that, that I, I don't understand the law as it was before, because if if the removing your shirt is the offence, you you have removed your shirt, so you've committed the offence. It doesn't matter when offense. you do it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand. No. You, you removed your shirt, but I've disallowed your goal, so I'll let you off. Doesn't yeah. make yeah, re- no. weird. But we are dealing with football authorities here, so well, yes, indeed. You know. Finally, the team that wins the pre-match coin toss can now choose whether to take the kickoff or which goal to attack. Previously, they could only choose which goal to attack. So, does that add much to the game, really? Does it make any difference? I, I think it makes very little difference. When, when you're playing on pitches as good as Premier League or you know professional football pitches are, which which tend to be flat, there's no slope, there's not much wind affecting it, it's, it's all, all a bit irrelevant. T- teams like to attack a certain goal at a certain you know first or second half, don't they? Like Arsenal. Yes, they Arsenal always wanted to attack the clock in the second half. You know, yeah. that people will still choose the choose ends rather than kick off. A- among those changes, you know, we're, we're okay with a couple of them. A couple of them don't make any sense and don't yeah. seem to be any different. You know, one, the, the handball thing is no clearer than it was before. No. And why they can't just say deliberate or not deliberate and that yes. it's one or the other and that's an end of it that was the we clearest that was the clearest it's ever been all these all these guidelines to help make it clearer just make it worse yeah muddying the waters as mm. they say let's go back to your trivia question repeat the question and give us the answer right what do Matt Smith of Millwall Reese James of Wigan Moussa Dembele at Fulham and Paul Williams of Coventry City all have in common all right gone right the, the, this came up because last week Queen's Park Rangers sold Matt Smith of Millwall and replaced him with a player also called Matt Smith on loan from Manchester City Just on the same day. Last summer, Wigan sold Rhys James, formerly of Manchester United, and he was replaced by a player on loan from Chelsea called Rhys James. In July 2012, Fulham, Moussa Dembele replaced Moussa Dembele when he was sold to Tottenham. Yes. And in 1992, Coventry City had Paul Williams and Paul Williams. So they had two players called Paul Williams. A year later, Paul Williams was sold and was replaced by a third Paul Williams. That's incredible. Yeah. So basically, they were all replaced all by replaced their namesakes by or were replacing namesakes. namesakes. That's yeah. weird. That's, that's a beautiful question. I do feel, though, that they were you know, just sort of saving money on shirts or something like that. Let's have a little look at what's happening this weekend in the Premier League, at least. Bear in mind, uh, everybody who's listening, of course, we're recording this on deadline day, which is Thursday. The first Premier League game to take place for the 2019-2020 season uh, is tomorrow. So we're just predicting all these games. They're just our humble opinions of what might happen in the opening uh, weekend of the season. First of all, Jeff, Liverpool take on newly promoted Norwich City. As we said on the previous 
podcast, Klopp complaining about having to play so soon mm. after so many games. But at least he's being eased into the season quite nicely against lowly, shall we say, Norwich City, a contender to go down. Yeah, I think it should be a comfortable win for Liverpool. I'm going to say, because it is the start of the season, it's not going to be, it's going to be quite cautious. I'm going to say 2-0 to Liverpool. We're both saying 2-0 to Liverpool. 2-0 to Liverpool. All right, let's see how we get on with the next one. Your team, West Ham United are the early game on Saturday, half 12 UK time kickoff against the champions of Manchester City. So unlike Liverpool, West Ham have got a, a first game of the season, at least West Ham are at home. Being at home hasn't done us a great deal of good in the last couple of years, but 2-1 to City, I think. 2-1? Yeah. All right, I think I'm going to go with 3-1. Bournemouth are at home to newly promoted Sheffield United, who've been spending a bit of money. So I think that's going to be a close one. Got um draw it, written all over it. Yeah, I'll go for a Bournemouth win. So you're going to go for mm. Bournemouth, I'm going to go for a score draw. Burnley against Southampton. Burnley, the last couple of seasons, done very well. They did falter a bit because of the Europa League, which we, we may get time to talk about mm. Wolves and the Europa League in a moment. Burnley against Southampton. Again, it looks like a draw, but I'm going to go 2-1 to Burnley. I'll go for a Southampton win. Great stuff, so we disagree. Crystal Palace. Zaha, uh, as we speak, is uh, looking to leave Crystal Palace. He's having a tantrum at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, so who knows what's going to happen there. That may be resolved, of course, by the time this podcast goes out. Crystal Palace are at home to Everton, who've made some interesting signings. I'll go for an Everton win. I think I'm going to go for 2-1 to Everton. I think Mm. Palace will be in it, but I think Everton really, really have laid out their stall this season. I think they're, they're, they're really looking for something special. Watford with Danny Welbeck. Mm. Uh, possibly playing uh, in that game at home to Brighton. Watford should have enough yeah, to yeah, win that. I think that. Watford will win that, and that could be 2-0. Yeah. And then the late game on Saturday is my Tottenham Hotspur against a newly promoted Aston Villa. Now, just bear in mind, Aston Villa finished the championship in fifth. They weren't yep. even in the top two or three best teams in the championship. They finished in fifth. Uh, they got through via, uh, through via the playoffs, obviously. Uh, and then they've been, as we said on the last podcast, you know, they've they got rid of a load of players and Thank brought a load in. They'll probably be all over the place, I think. And Tottenham need to start strong. We've got some new players coming in. We've got Son and Delhi suspended for that game. 3-0 Tottenham. I'm really sticking my neck out on that one, but I think we'll, we'll, we'll come out flying. I can see Tottenham winning, uh, maybe 2-1. Yeah, all right. So oh, it's, it's, it's Tottenham, so you've got to question the defence, haven't you? It's just it's in, right. the, I've, I've it's in the rules. Yeah. You're right, nil-nil. Right, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to Sunday. Leicester City against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Now, before we go through the, mm. the three games on Sunday, let's just briefly talk about Wolves, because they've got a great manager, very yeah. well-proven manager, done very well in Europe in the past. They are in the Europa League this season. They are contenders for what you call the Vars, the Everton Trophy, you know, the, the mm. top, top six or six, you know, finish or whatever. Seventh place finish. Seventh place, yeah. Mm. Can Wolves do it? Bearing in mind they've got this long season in the Europa League, which was the undoing of Burnley last year. Yeah, I think if... Well, the, the problem Wolves have is that they had 10 of their players played 33 or more games. So the, the manager does stick with his core of players and play them a lot. But if they then... If they use the Europa League for the, the other players, the fringe players... They can do very well out of it. Wolves last season were were brilliant against the the top six sides. Nobody outside the top four did better against the top six sides than Wolves. Where they let themselves down was against the bottom bottom three. If they'd got as many points against the bottom three as sort of average for the the top half, they'd have got more points than Manchester United. Wolves like to sit back and counter-attack. And of course, the teams below you don't want to attack you because they're not as good and they'll get beaten. So... 
you have this situation of Wolves just l- lumping long balls to the to the, <laughs> to the <laughs> other <laughs> team and just lump it back to oh. no we don't want it <laughs> playing badminton basically. yeah so but Leicester I think will be will be very positive Rogers is a very very good coach and just gives some facts that back that up he got 17 points from the nine games that he he was manager in last season so if he'd been manager for the whole season and it, the same thing had applied he'd have got 72 points wow 20 more than they did get now obviously he's not going to you know it doesn't translate but in exactly yeah, the same way but he's clearly but way. he's clearly a, a positive in terms of additional points for the team so although Leicester have have, have not strengthened the team and have lost Maguire if they can get Lewis Duncan by close of play today and he plays the defence will be pretty good Leicester look a good bet I don't know it, it might be a very entertaining draw that match I was going to say the same thing I think of all of the games that's the one that you really can't call it does both teams Done some interesting business in in the in the summer. You know, Wolves, of course, came on strong last season. All of that that you've said, two two or something ridiculous, yeah. or three yeah. three or something ridiculous. Both teams are going to be doing well this season, I think. Yes, they are. And that you know, it's interesting that those two teams that we're tipping for doing well are meeting each other so early. Newcastle United against Arsenal. Newcastle, you know, what another another season in turmoil. Are they going to be sold? Are they really for sale? You know, did they have any good players to start with? They've sold two of their best players. They may be saying signing Andy Carroll. They're playing against Arsenal, who, you know, just repeat what I've just said about Newcastle and, and relate it to Arsenal, I suppose. Yeah, with, with a better better quality of player playing yes. at Arsenal. Um, I don't know. You, you, Arsenal should win. I mean, Newcastle, that squad is a bad squad. I mean, yeah. it's a relegation squad. Yes, so I Arsenal think, should win. I think Arsenal may let a goal in, but I think they'll score two or three. Yeah. I think Arsenal will win that. Well, uh, if David Luiz plays for them, then, of course, they will concede a goal. So. <laughs> yeah, so we'll leave that... We leave that to that. Manchester United take on Chelsea. Big game for both teams. You know, the, an early, early big game, if you like. In previous years, you would have said that. Chelsea mm. and Man United always, you know, looking for top four or top three. Yeah. Chelsea now, you know, finished third. Man United finished, you know, too far down the table to scroll down yeah. um, on the phone. So really, in, in years gone by, that would have been a big fixture, but not so much now, I suppose. Well, I don't know. I, I think the Chelsea squad is, is, a, is a much, much better squad than Manchester United. For player sure. for player, they're, they're just they're better. Big unknown is how good a manager is. Is Lampard, will the players play for him? How will he set the team up? All of that could probably be a draw, I think. Generally, they are those two, the, the Man United-Chelsea games, not very often, yeah. like Manchester United-Arsenal. Yeah. They can be very contentious and a lot of sort of incidents, but they are very often fit to finish up a draw score draw I think yeah. it'll be a score draw uh, maybe Maguire to score an own goal no don't say that <laughs> no I don't think so no no, no. Well, I don't know if it's too I mean he's just signed for them is it too early for him to come into the team well I mean he's what is he he's, he's a centre back he's been a centre back all his career what's the point in in worrying too much if he's going to fit in with the other defenders there who are frankly useless so you may as well put him in because he's going to be the best player on the you know on, yeah. in their team alright we shall see what's going to happen those are our predictions bear in mind they were made today on Thursday day before the Premier League season <laughs> Is finally Jeff turned up. Look at him, Steve. Seeing as you're finally here, it is time for you to contribute to the show. All right, now, fantastic. We've got uh, uh, continuing here with uh, myself, Jeff, and Steve Kenners, Kenton. 
because Jeff's a West Ham fan, we've decided to do an all-time West Ham 16. Now, it's a difficult one because they've won nothing, have they, since 1966 when they claim to have won the World Cup, Jeff? Well, they clearly did win the World Cup since we had the captain and the goal scorers, all West Ham players. And that, that actually was an interesting three-year spell. They won the FA Cup at Wembley in 64, Cup Winners' Cup at Wembley in 65, World Cup at Wembley in 66. Oh. And Bobby Moore lifted all those trophies. Hold on. Wasn't your captain out of contract just prior to the World Cup? Yeah, he was. He was negotiating with Manchester United oh, at the there time. there you go then. Ah, so and, he was and a non-contract player when he, when well, he was no, in England's No, no, because the, the, the rules in transfers then were you, were you were owned by the club. So he was negotiating. And every time Manchester United made him an offer of 120 quid, West Ham just went, OK, 125. And it just kept on going like that until mm. everyone got bored. So the, um, the, the best all-time West Ham eleven. I, I'll start with the, goal, the, the goalkeeper is for me Mervyn Day I'll go along with that actually what, what about although I, I loved Parts I, I loved Phil Parts as well but, brilliant keeper. but in, it, he was a brilliant keeper yeah absolutely right but in my mind he's always a QPR keeper do you think? yeah he's always a QPR keeper in my mind Day went through two phases before he got married and after he got married and before he got married he was sensational after he got married it's, it's like his edge went fullbacks I've got Ray Stewart and Frank Lampard yep I, I, funnily enough I had the same centre backs well obviously Bobby Moore who's also the captain oh do you think oh you saw he wasn't past his best <laughs> yeah he was and out of contract <laughs> and <laughs> and as a sort of stopper centre half I'd go for Alvin Martin because yeah. he was a great ball player as well Kevin Lott was the sort of successor to Bobby Moore as as the ball player, creative centre back. Yeah, but, but not, not got, half the player. But if you if you got more, you don't have Kevin Lott. Midfield, I'd have Bonds as my holder. Also, he's also a box to box midfielder. Yeah, he was, he yeah. was kind of everything. He's your archetypal number four, really, isn't he? he, he and he was number four when he when he came in. There yeah. you go. Rooking, obviously. Yeah, he's classic number ten, one of yep. the best the world's ever seen. Indeed. Martin Peters and yeah. Alan Devonshire. Do you know what? I have exactly the same uh the same listing as you do pretty yeah. much at the moment in my head. And unlucky to miss out for me, one of my favourite players ever is Graham Padden. Fantastic left footed creative player. I saw Graham think. Padden play uh, I think it was against Luton. I think West Ham won with an Alan Carr own goal ironically enough. Um I uh, sorry David Carr. David Carr own goal. Mm. And I think I'm sure it was Padden. It's absolutely superb. Just run the game. Oh absolutely completely I mean, run the game. In in training they couldn't get the ball off him. He was just he was just that good. And up front Jeff Hurst, I'll go beside him with Tony Cotty. Oh this is where we differ. I've gone Pop Robertson. It's a good shout, but I'll, I'll go for Cotty because he's West Ham Academy player. Yeah, but I, oh, I, I've always thought... I've got to say, Pop Robertson is probably the best striker, the, be, the best West Ham striker I've ever seen. I don't know. It, alongside Cotty, I, I, mm. I couldn't separate them. I, I loved Pop Robertson. He was just mm. the most uh, goal poacher. He was just... Yeah. Forget about him outside the penalty area because you get nothing from him. No. But inside the penalty area, it's just but astonishing. That, that was a, I certainly back in back in sort of like... Well, I suppose we're talking the 70s, really. Mm. You found that a lot with strikers, with what would now be probably classed as world-class strikers. Yeah. They just didn't do anything outside the box at all. Latchford did very little. McDonald did nothing. Latchford is, is a, a, the type of centre-forward like Hurst. Half his game was receiving the ball with the back 
yeah. back to the goal, bringing on other players. So mm. he, he'd take all the kicks on the ankles and the back of the mm. legs and lay the ball off. Cotty and Pop Robson were the, the little one along with the big one. So yeah. they were the poachers who, who stuck the ball in inside the six-yard box. I, I'll go with Cotty because he's an academy player. Okay. And, and of that 11, nine of them are West Ham Academy. Only two of them were bought on the market. Billy Bonds, yep. who came, I can't remember his Charlton. Charlton. And Ray Stewart, who came from some Scottish team. That uh, Oh, Stewart. I've got a feeling... Falkirk or somewhere it's like, like that. Motherwell, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah, I, it doesn't. I, I, I'll have to. I'll have to check that one out. But it's yeah. one of those teams that's the second name is Neil, something like that. But yeah. So who uh, on the bench? Parks. Yeah. Or Parks. Ferguson. No, Parks. Parks. Yeah. I mean Ferguson. For those for those who don't know, was actually bought by West Ham for what was then the world record fee for a goalkeeper. Yeah. What was it? Was, uh, was it two two twenty or something? No, no. It's yeah. seventy five thousand. Was it seventy five? Yeah. And Ferguson ended his time at West Ham playing for the the reserve team. Mm. In the, the there is a league for this for reserve teams if if you didn't know yeah on the left wing mm. not as a goalkeeper at all we've got Parks on the bench who else on the bench from defence I'd have Kevin Locke on the on the bench okay Tommy Taylor Graham Padden probably have Julian Dix on the bench yeah he's he's very popular amongst West Ham fans yeah but popular doesn't necessarily no mean no any good uh, mm. and what well, Pop Robson I suppose has Pop got Robson been, yeah. yeah. So in the midfield on the bench, Stuart Robson. Right. Okay. So we've got six substitutes then. No. Oh, okay. okay. And we. I've also left out one of my favourite players ever, Clyde Best. Amazing centre forward. Yeah. He was a brilliant, brilliant player. He was. Took an awful lot of flack as well. Oh, he did. Yeah. Right, but he was absolutely superb. Okay. Starting eleven, we've got Day, defence, Ray Stewart, Frank Lampard. Alvin Martin and Bobby Moore. The midfield, we've got Martin Peters, Bonzo, Billy Bonds, Trevor Brookin, Alan Devonshire. Up front, we've got Jeff Hurst and Tony Cotty. While yeah. on the bench, we got Parks, Dix, Robson, Padden and Robson. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that is your West Ham all-time best team as conceived and seen by Steve Kenton and Jeff Saunders there. If you have an opinion otherwise, uh, let us know in the comments section. Talking of all-time best and all that and retro, um, one thing that sort of annoys me as you get older is this whole idea that people say about it was much better in our day. We used to go out and play with sticks and stones in the street. Kids of today don't understand. Frankly, I would much rather have grown up in today's day and age, if you like, with iPhones and tablets and Netflix and video games, quite frankly. But Steve, you're a bit of an aficionado of old football games like, well, to start it off, Sabutio. Yeah, yeah. Do do you not appreciate the beauty of blow football ever? Not really. Did you never appreciate... Oh, really? Once you've sort of blown into a straw four or five times, it kind of loses loses the magic. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. You're a philistine. (laughs) Didn't you ever put three penny coins together in a triangle and shove them through each other in a triangular motion to try and score it? There's a whole video site dedicated to that, I'm sure. You know I dug out my Sabutio. Yes. uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's not a condition. It's not a medical condition that he's dug out. It's the name... of a game from the 70s. No, Sabutio, the old flick to kick. Dug it out of my storage unit. Got World Cup goals. You know, you can't do that on the TV. On your Mega Drive, <laughs> you're not going to appreciate the game in the same way as if you were playing Sabutio. I mean, I also dug out my, my Top Trumps cards, didn't I? My, my Top Trumps football cards. Uh, for any of you that 
know what top trumps are, you'll know what I'm talking about. For those who don't, don't worry about it. But um, It's like a card game, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's a card game. You know, I mean, I'm holding three in front of me now. Ray Kennedy, Andy Gray and Don Givens from 1978. British soccer stars. You don't really see that now. You do have gaming cards now, but then they're, I think they're called Pokemon. Max Stacks. No, that's <laughs> a Pokemon. Just don't. Don't. Top Trumps, brilliant game. Brilliant. Because, you know, you learn about your favourite players, see dodgy photos of them with really bad hair. We, we'll probably put a few on, on our Facebook page at some point. It's like tiny fragments of the internet put onto a piece of cardboard. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Wikipedia, but without all the information. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, if you look at the games now, I think part of the beauty, in all seriousness, of of these retro games is the fact that you are detached from reality. You know, as is normally my case, you are detached from reality. You, you're detached from the reality of, of, of real life football. You know, when you're playing these computer games, you know, do you want to see Neymar rolling around on the floor or do you just want to play football and get on with it? You All know? right. Well, that's, that's Steve and his uh, top trumps and his Sabutio yeah. and his, uh, what was it, Sega, was it? Not Sega. Sega the, Mega Drive. The Mega Drive. We're going to get Steve to um, post some photographs of his top trump cards on Facebook for you all to have a little look at. Uh, <laughs> moving on, because, um, you know, uh, quite frankly, that's only reinforced my belief that kids have it much better these days what have we got next where are they now do you know where trevor aylott is trevor aylott i'm guessing since you're asking the question he's a cabbie correct amundo i've been dying to say that trevor aylott is indeed a taxi driver as is one of your old boys alan dickens bingo yeah yeah john bumstead oh i didn't know that john, yeah, john bumstead is is a, is also a taxi driver, but the one that's in a slightly more left field is um, David Bentley. Well, David Bentley, the only reason that we brought him up, apart from the fact, of course, he did play once for Arsenal and many times for Tottenham. Uh, he's famous for giving up football at a very young age because he gave up football at a very long age because he found eventually found it just far too commercialised, far too sterile. Uh, and he believed that the, the magic had gone from the game. He could obviously afford to retire. Uh, what did he do once he retired? He became a restaurateur. For those who don't know, it's not restaurateur. Bugs me, but Be never mind. A restaurateur. He opened a bar here, the Costa del Sol, mm. called La Sala. They all also have a version in Essex. He and several other footballers are now the owners of that bar. And uh, very often they can be seen down here in Marbella. Uh, hanging out during the uh, off-season. Hmm. So David Bentley went from footballer to restaurateur because he could. Because there's no stress involved in being a restaurateur, is there? Well, not being an investor isn't. Basically, you pay well, you you your money and you go back to your mansion. Yeah, oh, well, you're, I suppose you're either going to make money or lose money end off. Well, yeah, they're certainly making some money there. Um, we'll give them another plug in case they offer us a free breakfast. La Sala in Porto Banus. And talking of people we should thank very briefly, Stuart Hill, Exclusive Wines, stuarthilluk.com. You can get all the information about the exclusive wines, uh, cigars, cheeses and organic seeds that they provide to distributors and all the cultural events that they uh, sponsor and support. And thank you to our bar, of course, our local bar here in Calahonda. And thank you to Taxi Point, information and up-to-date news about everything to do with that industry and to my taxi which is a taxi app uh, so thanks to all those people before we wrap it up shall we talk about spurs history very very briefly right uh, that's no that is a summing yeah. up of spurs history spurs founded in 1882 that's it <laughs> we're done no <laughs> spurs were founded indeed in 1882 on a piece of boggy marshland um they are or are the only team to win the FA Cup since the formation of the league who were in fact a non-league side. That's only because the Football League wouldn't have them and they've regretted it ever since. Um, 
a first club last century, last century, notice Chris, last century to do the League and Cup double. Arsenal have done it a couple more times since. Um, in 1963, they were the first club to win a UEFA competition, the Cup Winners' Cup. In 72, they were the first club to win the UEFA Cup. In total, they've won two, count them, because it's very easy to do, two titles, eight FA Cups. This is not a history of art. No, 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 no. I'm just, just reiterating Spurs' is having, a, having a pop, uh, Yeah, well, yeah, because I can. Eight FA Cups compared to Arsenal's 13, four League Cups, three European trophies, and seven charity shields, which are completely meaningless. Ooh, well, thank you very much. Uh, any Spurs fans listening, d- ignore that. Spurs have got a future. Arsenal have got a history. Yeah, and one one bit of history which, which has always stuck with me since I was a boy. 1967 FA Cup final was the first all-London FA Cup final. Spurs won 2-1 against Chelsea. Mm. Uh, thank you so much for listening. This is another edition of Carl and Kenneth hitting the bar. Football from monocles to man buns. Thank you to Steve Kenton, historian. Thank you. <laughs> thank you to Jeff Saunders, West Ham fan. You're welcome, Chris. Uh, I'm Chris Carl. Do join us next time for more Carl and Kenneth hitting the bar. You've been listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Join us again next week for more of their twisted football news, all of their weird football views. You can find them here every week on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. We'll see you again shortly.